0: You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. What did our founding fathers do without DoorDash? All right, George Washington didn't have that Dasher, Benjamin Franklin did not have Uber Eats. What did they do? How are they surviving? How are they getting access to food? Well, through human evolution, even dating back hundreds of thousands of years earlier, humans were preparing their own food. People were cooking. And this is one of the things that's really helped to impress upon our miraculous human brain and to create the highly developed human brain that we have. Cooking has been one of those remarkable phenomena and inventions. But it's not just cooking. Sometimes it's uncooking and it's having a relationship with our food in that way as well. But just having a hand in the process, that has largely been removed from our culture as each year has gone by. You know, I remember being a kid and when we would ever order food, that was like a big event. When you was Friday night, you ordering a pizza and the pizza man comes, you know, and you get the money for the pizza and the tip and the whole thing. And it gives you that piping hot box of cheesy Ninja Turtle goodness like just thinking about that is incredibly nostalgic now it's evolved from that place or devolved however you want to look at it because pizza delivery maybe some Chinese food delivery was one thing and it was a rarity for most folks today we have virtually every restaurant every type of food that we could think about at our fingertips now this isn't necessarily a bad thing this is kind of cool you know, because we can get the flavor sensations and the the food experiences that we want. And that's a great gift. At the same time, it's taken another step away for us from being involved in the preparation and the procurement of our food. And that might be a point of concern. So can we use these technologies? And of course, even going out to eat and all these wonderful things that we can do. Absolutely, we can use these things. But is there something Missing, is there something removed when we don't have a part in the food preparation process ourselves? And I'm here to tell you today, absolutely, you already know the answer to that, because there's a familiarity that takes place when we have a hand in our food procurement and also preparation. And to take it a step further, when we can have our hands involved in the preparation of our food, we, 99.9 percent of the time, we have the opportunity to create something that is far more health-affirming. We, we have the opportunity to create meals and have food experiences that are light years beyond what the DoorDasher can hand you. All right. Now, there's some wonderful restaurants who are stepping their game up and ensuring that they're giving higher quality ingredients to fuel our citizens. But for the most part, as you're going to learn today, most restaurants are not abiding by those standards. And we have the opportunity, again, by taking this into our, our own hands a little bit more, not totally. Again, not to say that we can't get our dash on or go out to a restaurant because I'm going out with my wife tonight. I am taking her out. You know, we're gonna take her to a little little theater and a little one-on-one, you know, across the table. And, uh, you know, maybe a little dessert. you know, feel me? But these are all accessible for us, but I don't want us to lose sight of one of the most intimate, even beyond intimate processes that we have, which is to be able to decide exactly what foods, what ingredients we're putting into our temple. We're putting into our amazing bodies because every single bite of food that we eat literally is determining what we're making ourselves out of. And so that matters. And so we're gonna rekindle that fire. We're gonna spark it to a different level today with our special guest. And during the episode, he actually mentions one food that I've been having a special love affair with recently, myself, and it's blueberries. And one of the reasons why, first of all, it's just kind of a, it's a vibe. You know, you've probably had this experience where there's certain foods you're really just feeling at a certain time and maybe that might change, but right now I'm just really vibing with blueberries and the health benefits are remarkable as well. Listen to this. There was a study that was published by researchers at the University of Michigan finding that blueberries potentially affect genes that control the burning of stored body fat. That's pretty remarkable. That's pretty cool. And there's some special pigments that are within the blueberry skin and the makeup of the blueberry that are rare in nature. But just in general, berries, as our special guest calls them, brain berries, have so many remarkable benefits that are really system wide. So you know that's one of my favorite foods right now. But also in a specific concentrate, like my youngest son, for example, we've got these little special go packs of this red juice formula from Organifi that has blueberry, concentrated blueberry, concentrated acai. Acai is one of the highest ORAC value foods ever discovered. The antioxidant content is out of this world. It's 103,000 ORAC value. That means it's 10 times more antioxidants than most fruits that you see in a conventional grocery store. Also, there is beet juice in the formula as well in a concentrate. And a study published in the Journal of Applied Physiology showed that drinking beet juice boosts our stamina up to 16% during exercise. Beet juice is being utilized so much for different pre-workout formulas and exercise formulas for a reason. They even experienced in this particular study less muscle damage and less fatigue after the training session. So having these combined with other super fruits, super foods, without any added crazy sugar and a formula that it tastes good. Kids love it. This is what I love right now. We can upgrade things and it's all organic and get some of the same flavor sensations that we grew up with, but using real high quality superfood concentrates. So head over there, check them out. It's Organifi.com forward slash model and get 20% off their amazing red juice formula. Also their gold formula, their amazing green juice formula. Again, that's Organifi.com forward slash model. It's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model 20% off. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled
1: Thoroughly Researched and Explained by Ultimate Tomato. I appreciate how thoroughly every topic is researched and explained. It lends itself to instant credibility. I absolutely love how well thought out each episode is and how every episode seems to support each other. The seamless flow reassures the listener how passionate Mr. Stevenson is about health and how to better your life. I switched to intermittent fasting because of this podcast and immediately experienced more energy.
0: That's so remarkable. Thank you so much for taking the time to share that and to share your voice over on Apple Podcasts. It really does mean a lot. And if you get to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the Model Health Show. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is New York Times bestselling author, Max Lugavere. He's been a science journalist for many years and also one of the foremost experts in human nutrition. And he's also the host of another top rated podcast called Genius Life. And he's here today to talk about his new project and some powerful insights that we can all learn a lot from and take with us in our lives moving forward. So let's jump into this conversation with the amazing Max Lugavere. My guy, Max Lugavir, you're on a mission to get people cooking again, first and foremost. What are some of the nutritional upgrades that we can see when we start making more of our own food? Such
1: a great place to start, Sean. I think that home cooking is one of the greatest leverage points for people to improve their health, improve the way they feel, increase energy levels, reduce brain fog, improve mental health. And the reason for that is that you can cook the same dish at home that you would pay your hard-earned money for out at a restaurant. And it's going to be healthier, implicitly. It's going to have fewer calories, fewer fat calories, less sodium. It's going to improve the dynamics of the relationships with the people that you're cooking with and around and, and serving to. And most importantly, I think when we cook at home, we, we have control. We have agency. When you eat at, out at a restaurant, who knows what kinds of oils they're using in the preparation of your food, If you're eating something that's been sauteed or fried, who knows how long that oil has been in the pan or the fryer. We know that oils like corn oil, canola oil, soybean oil, which you've talked about many times on your podcast, these oils are highly prone to a form of chemical disfigurement called oxidation, which is the least of the problems associated with polyunsaturated dominant gradient seed oils. They create um, various compounds like aldehydes are created when these oils are heated and then reheated which we know are mutagenic they damage the 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 mitochondria of our cells which are the energy producing organelles when you cook at home you can use fats that humans have been using for hundreds of years like extra virgin or if not thousands of years like extra virgin olive oil we've been using extra virgin olive oil for such a long time because the way you make it is you crush olives there's uh, avocado oil, which is a close second, which is a, a, from a flavor standpoint, very neutral. Um, and so I think like all that combined is why we see observationally that people who eat at home more as opposed to eating out, they have healthier BMIs. So they have reduced risk for obesity. Cooking at home reduces risk for having an unhealthy body fat percentage. So body composition is very important, right? We see that people who eat at home more have better cardiometabolic health and all this plays a role in in brain health as well. So again, we haven't even talked about macronutrients or or anything else really beyond just cooking at home, which is I think the one great leverage point that is at everybody's disposal. But unfortunately, and what inspired me to write this book is that culinary literacy is something that we've outsourced today, right? We live in the era of specialization. And I think in many ways, our brains are suffering as a result of that. We outsource financial literacy. We outsource health literacy, unfortunately. And culinary literacy, the, the, the know-how to, to be able to prepare food, delicious, nourishing food for ourselves, is also something that we've outsourced. We go to restaurants now, we eat fast food when we're crunched for time, we have apps at our disposal 24-7 that within moments, whatever comfort food we want shows up at our doorsteps. But by returning to our roots, which is a very ancient thing, knowing how to cook food, um, it's going to lead to better mental health, better physical health, And, and it's just going to be, it's going to taste better. It's such a gratifying experience. Food is how we, uh, like, it's, it's how we bond with one another, right? It's how we communicate. It's how we express love. And so I think it's something that we have to get back to.
0: Yeah, that's powerful, man. You just made me think about, you know, through our evolution, even living in tribes, everybody was involved in food somehow, whether you're procuring the food, hunting, gathering, you know, processing, cooking, everybody had a hand in it, literally. And there was a closer relationship today, like you mentioned, you could just whip out your phone, leave your door open and have the the DoorDash person just hand you the, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And I haven't really talked about this, but when I lived in St. Louis, I actually moved it to an area called Wildwood, Missouri. And we are literally living out in the woods, all right? Which you would see me on the street, you're not like that guy definitely <laughs> lives in the woods, you know? Um, but my grandmother, when I was a kid, she had moved back to my grandfather's you know uh, hometown in Piedmont Missouri which was like you know they lived on a dirt road and the forest was a backyard massive forest mm-hmm. like it was just kind of in my DNA little did i know and but being out there we i DoorDash wouldn't deliver there none of these apps oh, it was only when i would travel to go speak somewhere could i get like Uber Eats or whatever so i never had food delivered i didn't really know and even when i used the Uber Eats i was super nervous like is are they going to find me like yeah. you know and then once we move to LA, it's just like, oh, game on, you know, gonna make up for this. Because you could really get anything that you want, essentially any time, with the exception of what you're pulling out is any type of effort on your part. Now, of course, this doesn't mean we can't go out to eat and kick it and order great food, that kind of thing, but it's getting more reconnected because there's something very visceral that's taken out of the equation. And I love that, and I want to ask you about this. You mentioned Olive oil, like you just crush olives, you know, step one, crush olives. Step two, you're done, right? Versus you mentioned these kind of rancid or highly combustible even seed oils. Like what is the processing for those versus just crushing olives?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, So grain and seed oils, they are produced via a number of different um, production processes. They are extracted sometimes using hexane, which is a neurotoxin. Um, sometimes they're not. And Hexane, you know, I don't want to fear monger. The, the the there's little to no left in the in the final product, but all of these seed oils, they come from they're byproducts essentially. And you have to really it's a it takes a, a real stretch of the imagination to conceive of how they might how food manufacturers might generate oil from corn, right? When you think about an ear of corn, is that a fatty food to you? No. Soybeans? I mean, I enjoy edamame whenever I'm at a, a at a Japanese restaurant. Is that a fatty food? No. So what they do is they have to take. First of all, corn and soybeans are genetically modified in this country to to facilitate that 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 the which is one of their primary uses um, as a commodity as a subsidized commodity crop in the United States. It's the it's the creation of corn oil and soybean oil, which are now the most popular um, oils, the most widely consumed oils in the standard American diet. And so they get these oils which have bitter flavors, um, flavors that, that you don't want in your processed foods, and they ring them through a number of different steps, degumming. One step in particular is called deodorization, and it's the food industry's equivalent of the witness protection program, because it takes all of these nasty oils and it makes them all flavorless. It it basically rids them of any notable characteristic. They have extremely high smoke points, which they boast on the labels, and This is why food manufacturers are able to use these oils in any number of ultra-processed food products from granola bars to commercial cereals to breads to we roast nuts in them. Um, Restaurants use them to fry foods in. They have no flavor characteristic, very high smoke points. But the problem with that deodorization process is that it generates a small but significant amount of trans fats. There's no safe level of trans fat consumption. The FDA something like 10 years ago now, banned partially hydrogenated fats because they realized that the, de- the data was overwhelming, that there's no safe level of trans fat consumption. And that was the primary source of trans fats in the American diet. When once the, our governing bodies steered the American population away from animal source saturated fats, those were the fats that we were told to use instead, margarines and, and, and such. The problem is trans fats still exist in the modern food supply in the form of these grain and seed oils. Now, you're not ingesting a ton, but with the concentration that your average American is now consuming these oils, you are ultimately ingesting a significant amount of trans fats. And again, trans fats are poisons. They're poisonous to your cardiovascular system. They're poison poisons to your brain. Um, even among young and healthy people, ingestion of trans fats is related to worse memory function, higher risk for developing Alzheimer's disease, and worse um, cardiometabolic health. So, I mean, that's just like the production process of these oils, right? Studies show that commercially available oils, you just pluck them off of the supermarket shelves. Most of the time they're already, they've already, uh, this process called oxidation has already, um, been set into motion, which is, uh, again, a form of chemical degradation. Oxidized oils are pro-inflammatory. Um, and that's like quote unquote fresh oils. This occurs because the oils are kept usually in plastic tubs. They're clear. They're exposed to heat. You don't know how those oils have been stored prior to you purchasing them, right? And then we cook with them, so they become further degraded. They further oxidize. They various uh, oxidative byproducts are created, like aldehydes, which are not which are not healthy. Um, and so, I think it's very damaging. And our our ingestion of these fats, with soybean oil alone, our our consumption of soybean oil alone has increased about 2,000% over the last 100 years. Over the last 50 years, adipose um, linoleic acid, so our adipocytes actually store the fats that we eat. You know, they say you are what you eat. It's literally true. Linoleic acid, which is the predominant fatty acid found in these grain and seed oils in our adipocytes has increased over twofold um, over the past 50 years alone. So it's a problem. I think the nutritional and the medical orthodoxy is still in love with these oils because they, compared to saturated fat, they reduce LDL cholesterol. They're unable to see past that, which, which I think is a problem. LDL, you know, is certainly something that we talk about within the context of of cardiovascular risk, right? But monounsaturated fats also reduce LDL to virtually the same degree. They're much more chemically stable. They're associated with, with incredibly healthful fats like extra virgin olive oil, which we mentioned, which is a staple in the Mediterranean dietary pattern, right? There's this, um, there's this, this, this irony, right? That like the Western medical orthodoxy is obsessed with the Mediterranean dietary pattern, and yet also loves to promote grain and seed oils like canola oil, corn oil, and soybean oil. If you actually go to a kitchen in the Mediterranean region of the world, you won't find any of that crap. It's just extra virgin olive oil, and so. Um, To me, it's just it's it's mind blowing that those those kinds of fats continue to be pushed um, onto the American people.
0: That was going to be my next question, because they sound pretty terrible. Why are they so prevalent?
1: Yeah, they're they're prevalent because they're dirt cheap, um, because they're they're just highly marketed. And so they've and they've got huge margins. They, have, they boast uh, very high smoke points. It's really interesting. I think it's, it's important for people to know that smoke point and the temperature at which point an oil begins to degrade and thus become unhealthy are unrelated. So a smoke point is really a culinary concern. Mm. You can take a fat like butter, which is very chemically stable, very, um, very, very uh, well adapted to high heat cooking, but it has a low smoke point because of the solids that are in the butter, the casein, the lactose, You can take a butter derivative like ghee, which has had those solids skimmed off, and the smoke point shoots through the roof. Grain and seed oils have very high smoke points, but that's that, that, again, that's unrelated to the temperature at which point they become unhealthy. They've
0: already become unhealthy through their processing before it gets into the food, or to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Kate, I mean, there was a study that I shared, Kate Shanahan uh, posted on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, but it was a peer-reviewed study showing us that um, that the the level of oxidation that already exists in these products before we even get started cooking with them, is is already um, worryingly high, and a damaged fat damages you. I mean, it's, fats are not like glucose, right? You you consume glucose, you get a, a blood sugar spike. But if you're metabolically healthy, that sugar is cleared. It's cleared either into your muscle tissue or your liver. Your body processes it. Your body processes it, right? But the but the, but the problem with these fats is that they integrate themselves into all aspects of your being. We store them in our adipocytes. We they get chugged around our body by our by various lipoproteins, whether they're chylomicrons or LDL lipoproteins which um which are related to atherogenesis. They integrate themselves into our brains. And so that's why I think making sure the fats that you're eating are healthy fats is is really important and again I don't like to fearmonger the dose makes the poison to some degree and I'm just as much a member of modern society as anybody else I eat in restaurants you're, you're inevitably going to be prepared foods using these oils at some point point. Um, and that's fine but to me what I urge um, viewers listeners to do is to just make sure that in your home you're, you're cooking with you know extra virgin olive oil avocado oil you're, you're, you're getting rid of the products that have these, these cheaper oils because they're really not doing your, your health any favors. Yeah,
0: man, that's powerful. Now, here's the craziest part about this. You just brought this up really gracefully, even how our bodies store these things. If you think about it, we don't really store that much carbohydrate. We don't really store that much glucose or even glycogen. It's a tiny amount compared to the rest of the things that we store in our bodies. And if we're thinking about, okay, well, how do we store all this fat that we can potentially store, especially in our culture, is getting converted into fat. Like your body has this really remarkable intelligence to do this process, but when you got a fat, it's not getting converted to a fat necessarily. You know, it's a much more sketchy situation that we really don't understand yet. And so the ability for your body to integrate these fats into your tissues, like you were just mentioning Kate Shanahan. I remember she shared with me something a while back about biopsies being done on humans, you know, about a hundred years ago. And seeing the, the constitution of a fat cell might be 2% PUFAs, you know, polyunsaturated fats. Today, we're seeing about 25% of a fat cell from a biopsy being made of these PUFAs. Like the the ingredients that we're making people out of has changed dramatically. So it's not just the fact because we see the outer expression of obesity or of disease, but we don't think that the person is literally made from different stuff. Than what humans have evolved with, and it's just such a concerning thing because it's so pervasive. Like, unless you, it's, I would say it's at least ninety percent of restaurants, and of course, processed foods are going to be using these oils right now. It's shifted because I'm sure it was probably ninety-five percent, you know. But there's been a movement for up restaurants to kind of start to integrate higher quality oils. But the thing that we can do right now is control what we're cooking, and so that leads back. To your incredible new cookbook which is it's not just the, the oils we can upgrade but the nutrition itself so let's talk about that like if we're cooking at home i would imagine that we could be more intentional about even the quality of the vegetables we're getting or the animal foods
1: yeah i think that's that's a super important part of the equation i mean i i love to talk about the the health benefits of grass finished beef which for many people is a, is a is a luxury right but even even grain finished beef which i kind of don't like promoting it because it supports the factory farm system that's where that kind of animal protein comes from today unfortunately but um even that is going to be a better choice for most people for dinner than boxed mac and cheese for example um so yeah knowing where you're sourcing your 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 produce from your animal products from i think is really important but i try to I went I took great strides in the book to not be dogmatic about food and even and even to question um, my own biases with food by alerting people to the health benefits of even conventionally grown products. Right. I think in the wellness industry, there's a lot of perfectionism and black and white thinking. You have to buy organic. Your beef has to be grass-fed, pristine, grass-finished from a regenerative farm, blessed by shamans, <laughs> who knows what, right? Like, so, um, so for me, I have this, uh, this, this system in the book. It's like this, um, this labeling uh, system that I've devised where I go from good to better to great. And I, I think that we shouldn't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Even, even a conventional egg is still a good thing to eat you know a conventional egg is still a cognitive multivitamin
0: versus a pop tart especially versus a pop tart
1: yeah yeah so it's really important helping helping people to identify what what are good fats what are bad fats um or fats that fats that you should do your best to minimize if they're generally with a food product if there's an ad on tv for it <laughs> you're probably better off avoiding it um with organic, you know, organic is something that that gets talked about a lot. And when you look at research, I had to check my own biases. There's not re- there's not really good evidence that organic produce is more nutritious than conventional produce. There really isn't. I mean, sometimes you you see higher levels of certain um, nutrients, but uh, but then you'll see higher levels of, of other nutrients in conventional. Um, so it's it's really hard to say. I, I personally choose to avoid exposure to synthetic petroleum-based pesticides. So I, I buy organic. Whenever I can, and whenever in particular I'm eating the the skin or the uh, the peel of a of a piece of produce. But if you can't access organic or you can't afford it, then don't feel bad about about not and just just get buy your fruits and vegetables and just rinse them well. Um, so sourcing is is super important. But if you're if you're not able to source the very best of the best, you shouldn't feel bad about um, about buying and making use of whatever you do have access to. I mean, you could even go to a gas station and and there's this saying, I think Michael Pollan coined it, you don't want to fuel your body and your car in the same place, right? Mm. But, um, but even even in a gas station, you still buy canned tuna, which is a really great, super high quality protein source. Um, if you happen to find yourself in a food desert and that's the only option, well, it's still a great pr- source of protein um, and various other micronutrients. So yeah, I'm, uh, I, for me, it's about making nutrition easy, accessible, approachable, and, and ultimately achievable
0: for people. Mm. Yeah, I've I've noticed quite a few gas stations having like a little basket of like bananas and apples. Yeah, you know that'll, that'll usually red delicious apples though, which are the worst. <laughs> but still, I mean, what? Why is that? <laughs>
1: well, no, they're the worst from a taste
0: standpoint. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm obsessed <laughs> with Honeycrisp apples. I love them. Yeah, Gala. Um, there's so many. Yeah, know, there's so many. Same with avocados. People don't realize there's like hundreds of different varieties. You know, I had one guest brought me um, Johnny. Shout out to Johnny the Juicer, Johnny Juicer. <laughs> And uh, he brought me this ma- this avocado looked like a papaya. It was so huge. Wow! And you know, there's different ones that are kind of more buttery or cheesy or oily, just depending on the variety. You know, again, we tend to see just basically two types in conventional markets here in the, U- in the United States. But this is speaking to another possibility we have when we are shopping for ourselves is we can start to seek out more variety as well, which is really cool. Because man, I mean, there's there's so much that we have access to, but it doesn't seem like it when you go to a conventional grocery store. It just is very cookie cutter things. Yeah, which you know, even with this, I want to ask you about because circling back a little bit, when you mentioned kids having exposure to these abnormal food foods, you said mutagenic. Mm. Right, so immediately thought about Ninja Turtles, which is a whole (laughs) different thing, but potentially, you know transforming the way that our cells, the, the stuff that they're made of and also how they function, but in a negative way that can diminish our cognitive ability. But this is happening early on. So could Alzheimer's and conditions with our, our brain and the health of our brain, could they be starting really early in life versus what we tend to think is that there's an onset later in life and then boom, you have the, the disease.
1: Yeah, that's why nutrition is so important acro- across the age spectrum. Um, I mean, unfortunately, now hypertension is developing in children, in adolescents, obesity, rates of childhood obesity are out of control. And we know that conditions like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, they begin in the brain decades before the first symptom. I mean, Alzheimer's disease in particular, by the third decade of life, you're already showing signs in the brain if you're genetically at risk for Alzheimer's disease that are that are associated with that condition, reduced glucose metabolism in the brain, for example, called hypometabolism. Um, air pollution is another is another feature. It's not nutrition r- related, but they've shown that in in children, air pollution, par- uh, in particular, fine particulate matter, PM 2.5 can actually these are particles in the air that are not visible to the naked eye, but are able to pierce the blood brain barrier, initiate inflammation and then cause an aggregation of these plaques like amyloid beta plaque that we associate with Alzheimer's disease. Right in the brains of 90 something year old people like this, this quote unquote old person's condition, which is really not. Um, but we see this now in, in younger people that are that are living in in heavily polluted areas. Food plays a major role. I mean, we know that the foods that you eat provide the building blocks that your brain uses to create healthy new brain cells, supple brain cells that have the the characteristic of membrane fluidity. So, having brain cell membranes that are fluid um, is really important when it comes to how your neurons are able to communicate with, with one another. And fats play a role in that. So making sure they are eating adequate omega-3 fatty acids every day, but preformed omega-3 fatty acids. This is sort of an inconvenient truth that I think a lot of vegans have to come to terms with, that plant-based forms of omega-3s are not very bioavailable. And the ability of our bodies to convert plant-based forms of omega-3s to their usable forms in the body, to cosahexaenoic acid, or DHA, and icosapentaenoic acid, or EPA, it's a, it's a complex biochemical process utilizing what are called fatty acid desaturase enzymes. It's very, it's very, it's not efficient. And the, the efficacy of our bodies to do that, to, to, to carry on that process differs from person to person, gender to gender, um, genetic background to genetic background. And so uh, a plant-based source of omega-3s, you're, you're probably not influencing the amount of DHA that your brain has access to at all. So we know that we underconsume omega 3 fatty acids. And then going back to the fat issue, when we overconsume grain and seed oils, one of the other problems with them is that they compete for those same enzymes, those same desaturase enzymes. And so by overconsuming omega 6 dominant fatty acids, we're further handicapping our body's ability to generate omega 3 fatty acids from these plant based sources. So we have to continue to eat foods like fish, even though. We know that our oceans are becoming increasingly polluted. Still, to this day, the benefits of eating fish outweigh the risks. And it's those omega-3 fatty acids, DHA fat in particular, that keeps your brain cell membranes nice and supple and fluid so that the receptors for various neurotransmitters, serotonin involved in having a healthy mood, dopamine involved in feelings of reward, acetylcholine, which is important for learning and memory, receptors for those neurotransmitters have to bob up to the surface. Of the cell membrane, and they re- they rely on that on that characteristic right that that membrane fluidity in order to do so. On the other hand, it's inflammation that actually makes cell membranes more rigid, and inflammation is often wrought by overly sedentary lifestyles, exposure to modern toxicants, again over consuming these these grain and seed oils. It's not that grain that grain and seed oils are necessary inf- inflammatory in the sense that you consume them and you're going to see. You're going to see a a, an increase in inflammatory biomarkers, but they provide the precursors for your body's inflammation pathways. So when you do confront an inflammatory stimulus, um, it's you know it's my hypothesis that 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 you're going to see an over response. And we all are confronted with inflammatory stimuli, right? Whether it's exposure to toxicants, or we we get injured somehow, or pathogenic threat, um, what have you. So. Making sure that we continue to supply our brains with, with these building blocks from, from fresh whole food sources or supplements, fish oil, for example, algae oil, really important. And then, and then also for young people, for older people, you also have to provide your brain with protector molecules. Because again, stress is inevitable, right? Vitamin E is one of the most important. It's a fat soluble antioxidant, um, which consumption of, of foods rich in omega, in, uh, in vitamin E, Associated with better cognitive aging, reduced risk for cognitive decline. There was even I remember when um, when I was really getting deep into into this research when, when when my mom was alive that there was a study that came out that found that high dose vitamin E, about two thousand international units a day of vitamin E, um, improved functional capacity in patients with Alzheimer's disease, which is amazing. I mean that that a vitamin, uh, the humble vitamin E, could could do something like that, could have such a could have such a significant effect. It was a very small study, you know, and it's certainly not a cure, but, um, but we know that fat-soluble antioxidants are crucially important to having a well-performing brain. Uh, carotenoids, plant pigments like lutein and zeaxanthin, also crucially important. There was a study that showed, it was a University of Georgia study, that found that college students, young healthy college students, saw a 20% improvement in their visual processing speed when they took lutein and zeaxanthin supplements, which you can easily find. Dark leafy greens like kale is an amazing source of lutein and zeaxanthin. Egg yolks, avocados, um, so these are all the foods that that I call genius foods. I call them genius foods for a reason, because I truly believe that you know genius isn't isn't something that is you're not you're not born being a genius, right? You 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 build genius, and I think that eating the right foods can play a role in that. Mm, that's powerful, man, and I.
0: To to parallel that, I believe everybody has genius capacity, you know, and this even speaks to our system of education. It's very one size fits all vanilla and, you know, people might have a genius in being able to understand the, the structure of conventional education, rote memorization, following the rules, that kind of thing. But there are infinite expressions and, you know, an array of different types of genius. And so unlocking that is a super passion. this book again, we've got Genius Kitchen and these first of all, it's beautiful. I was telling you before we got started, you know you're just on here, handsome at AF with the <laughs> Fabio of nutrition books now, you know just it's, it's such a beautiful book as well. the food looks amazing. and um, you know, I want to dig in more because it's called Genius Kitchen. And you mentioned here we got fish is one of those foods that is really important for cognitive health. I want to talk a little bit more about that because tapping into our genius collectively we've got to have a healthy brain so can we dive in a little bit more specific on you mentioned fish is is one of those particular foods for DHA and EPA and the importance of this but what are there any specifics with the type of fish or anything we should pay attention to
1: yeah i mean fatty fish is is ideal because it's those fats i'll tell you why fat the fat of fish is so um precious. It's because fish inhabit cold waters, right? So cold water fish is really what we want to consume. And what happens to animal fats at cold temperatures? They become really rigid, right? Like if you if you've ever refrigerated a steak, the fat in a steak is predominantly um saturated in nature. And we're we're made of the same stuff, right? So Animal fat, land ruminant mammal fat, for the most part, when cold gets very rigid. So that wouldn't do for a fish, right? A fish has to stay limber and flexible at really cold temperatures. And so fish fats are predominantly polyunsaturated and monounsaturated. But it's those it's those delicate polyunsaturated fats that help keep a fish really really flexible and fluid. And it's that same quality that polyunsaturated fats give to your brain keeping your brain cell membranes nice and fluid and flexible, right? And so that's why there's this interesting relationship that our brains have with fish fat, right? That's why fish oil is so important. And the fish that are most abundant with that kind of fat, with with in particular DHA fat, which is one of the most important structural building blocks of the brain, is salmon. It's a fatty fish. King salmon is the fattiest fish, and it's generally wild. So that's that's the type of salmon that I would look out for, but it, it can be a little bit more expensive. Sockeye is a much more economical um, wild salmon, and it's very rich in, a, in, in, its, in this red color. So while it's not as fatty as king salmon, it's a much better source of a unique marine carotenoid called astaxanthin, which is abundant in sockeye salmon. So it gives sockeye salmon that characteristic rich red color. A little mm-hmm. more gamey as far as fish goes, because it's, it's leaner, but astaxanthin is a very powerful antioxidant that improves your skin quality. It's, it's powerfully protective to eye health as well as brain health. Mm-hmm. And it's actually one of these supplements that I've been um, taking for 15 years, even before mm-hmm. I got started doing what it is that I'm, that I'm currently doing. Um, astaxanthin was one of those. I just, I went down a research rabbit hole and I, I the, the, the benefits of it were so impressive to me. And it's one of the reasons why wild salmon is so, so great for you. Um, If you don't like salmon or you uh for whatever reason don't have access to it, um sardines are another another great source of uh preformed omega-3 fats. They're also low on the food chain, so very low exposure to mercury. Salmon is also pretty low, low mercury food, but um sardines are great, they're a sustainable fish. Um they're just they're they're plentiful, they're tiny. When they have bones in them, that that actually is a great source of calcium, also selenium, which is a powerful um, Brain antioxidant, also important for thyroid pro- thyroid production, uh, a viable source of vitamin D. So sardines are great. But I would
0: imagine we want
1: them packaged in a good oil or, yeah. you know, in water. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So I, um, yeah, you, unfortunately, you'll still find a lot of sardines that come with these really unhealthy oils like soybean oil and the like. And so um, you want to make sure that your sardines, if you're buying canned fish or any any kind of canned fish, comes either in, in water or extra virgin olive oil. Um sometimes you can find sardines in like marinara sauce, which is actually actually pretty good. Um, so sardines are great. but at the end of the day, observationally people that eat fish um seem to have better health, and the fish that most Americans are eating is not again, it's not pr- pristinely sourced and 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 what have you. So just eat fish at the end of the day, I think is is the is the is the proper take home here. It's, it's so beneficial. It's a great source of high quality protein. Women who eat more fish, their offspring come out with, with stronger, um,
0: cognitive abilities. Yeah. This Um, is well documented. It's so nuts when you think about that, because the baby is going to just siphon DHA and EPA, whatever the mom has available, Yeah, you know, and if you could provide more, it's just so nourishing for the developing brain for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's awesome. I mean, and, and
1: most of the fish now that we get come from sustainable fisheries, like there's the question of, of sustainability, which I know comes up. We've had to scale our food production to, to support a growing population dramatically over the past hundred years. So mistakes have been made. I mean, none of our, the systems that we currently have in place are perfect, but, um, but they're getting better all the time. And I think, um, when you buy from reputable supermarkets that, that helps to support these,
0: um, the, the progress on that front. Yeah, super powerful stuff. We've got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. Mental performance is more important than ever, and there are specific foods that are proven to enhance our cognitive abilities like few things can. A study published in Advanced Biomedical Research found that royal jelly has the potential to improve spatial learning, attention, and enhance our memory. And to add to that, it was found to be antimicrobial, anti-tumor, and anti-inflammatory. One of the biggest issues we're facing with cognitive decline, with diminishing brain health is neuroinflammation, specifically hypothalamic inflammation with our hypothalamus being a master regulator of our endocrine system and our nervous system. And addressing this helps not just our brain work better, but our body working better as well. Royal Jelly has also been found to facilitate the differentiation of all different types of brain cells. And to top it off, researchers in Japan discovered that royal jelly has the power to stimulate neurogenesis in the hippocampus. This is the memory center of the brain. Very few things ever discovered have been found to be able to do this. This is the power of royal jelly. Royal jelly has been prized for centuries for all of its metabolic and cognitive benefits but this is just one of the most remarkable superfoods for the brain. Another one of my favorite things is Bacopa, a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled human trial, the gold standard of clinical testing, published in 2016, found that after just six weeks of use, Bacopa significantly improved speed of visual information processing, learning rate, memory consolidation, and even decreased anxiety in study participants. Now, I've got both of these powerful superfoods together in one of my all-time favorite nootropics, and it's called Bee Smart from the incredible folks at Beekeepers Naturals. They're dedicated to sustainable beekeeping. That's where this amazing royal jelly comes from, to deliver the cleanest, most bioavailable forms of bee products. And they're committed to third-party testing for over 70 pesticide residues commonly found in bee products With some of the most pervasive offenders being things like ddt that's again commonly found in b products they also test for a wide variety of other things commonly found in b products that a lot of folks don't know about like heavy metals like arsenic and lead and also testing for e coli and salmonella and things that you do not want coming through with the incredible b products that we're trying to get and get the value from we don't want toxins and poisons coming along with those things. So, so I'm a huge fan of Beekeepers Naturals and my favorite thing, my favorite nootropic is Bee Smart from Beekeepers Naturals. Go to beekeepersnaturals.com for 15% off the Bee Smart and all of their other incredible products. You've got to check out their superfood honey as well. It's amazing. Go to B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S naturals.com forward slash model and again you get 15 percent off all their incredible products be smart is a must have for mental performance pop over there check them out beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash model now back to the show so we've got fish specifically fatty fish and I would imagine you've got a good fish recipe or two in the book (laughs) for everybody which again just even looking through the pages you start to get a little bit hungry um, so we got fatty fish as being one of these really important foods for our brain health and cognitive function. So you mentioned vitamin E as well a little bit. What foods can we find a good source of vitamin E? Great question. Vitamin E is
1: really important. Um you can find it in, in almonds. Anytime you find actually anytime you find polyunsaturated fats in nature, because they're so delicate and damage prone, you find vitamin E. Yep. So any food that has polyunsaturated fats typically is going to naturally also contain vitamin E, which is actually vitamin E is kind of a misnomer. It's a, it's a squad of about eight protector molecules that, that you've got alpha tocopherol gamma tocopherol. There are, I believe six others, but, um, yeah, avocados are a great source. Um, grass fed beef is a good source, um, of vitamin E and in, in, in grass finished beef, you get three times the vitamin E as compared to grain fed beef. Um, I believe egg yolks are a a decent source of vitamin E, um, wild fatty fish. Uh, it is a, it is a pretty abundant, um, antioxidant in nature. Although still today, I believe 90% of people don't consume, um, the daily recommended amount of vitamin E, unfortunately, because we're not eating whole foods anymore, right? We're eating ultra processed packaged foods. So, yeah, so I, I go into all that. I actually, I, in the book, I break apart each food component. I talk about dairy. Um, I talk about salt. Actually, dairy is an area where my views have kind of evolved um, over time. I don't know. Are you
0: a dairy fan? Huh. That's like, uh, <laughs> it sounds a little bit like an oxymoron, you know. Um, you know, it's again, my views have evolved. But for me, it's just looking at humans have been consuming dairy for, again, thousands of years, not typically from, you know, a cow, but it could be goat. Yeah. Sheep, people are out here milking camels for <laughs> centuries, you know. And but I think it really boils down to where it's coming from and your unique microbial health and you, you know, your just your your genetics, how it's lining up with those things. I think that for most folks, they can do well with a little bit of dairy, but it's been so vilified that it's kind of a sketchy situation to even talk about because it can be so damaging as well on the other side. It could be something that is definitely driving uh, allergic conditions. Yeah. You know, I when and I'll, I'll tell you this true story. I completely transformed my health age of 22, you know, going from this advanced degenerative spinal condition when I was 20. And I was looking and feeling good, but I still had these allergies, like seasonal allergies would get really bad. Hay fever. I had a history of asthma. You know, when I was a kid, I would be hospitalized occasionally with, with asthma. and When I stopped eating dairy, when I pulled that out of my diet, because I was trying to upgrade the dairy that I was getting, I was getting organic dairy, you know, but I still would, I constantly had like a mucousy thing going on as well and like spitting, you know, like this is so crazy. And my wife, I, you know, we were together at the time, was just like, how did you deal with me? Like, kind of just having that little thing. But anyway, so I pulled dairy out of my diet and I haven't had an issue since, like, no. Allergies, no asthmatic symptoms. And you know, it's been years and years and years have gone by. And but here's the thing. When I I can have a little bit of certain types of dairy, but if I teeter a little bit too far, I start to get like a little bit of, you know, a little something going on. Wow. You know, so my body's more sensitive to it. But because I'm overall healthier, I think that ultimately it's still it's the stuff we're making our system out of, the health of your microbiome. So that was like a loaded question, loaded answer for me, but you just said your views have evolved as well. So let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, I've become sort of a fan, I've become a bigger fan of dairy fat. Um, I mean, I've been a fan of dairy protein for a long time because from a biological value standpoint, dairy protein is pristine. It consistently ranks among the top quality protein, highly digestible, uh, found in nature. I've been a user of whey protein, isolate for some time, which actually, even for people who are dairy sensitive, whey protein is... um, Usually pretty well tolerated because, uh, especially whey protein isolate, um, because it's largely free of any lactose and casein. Casein is the other type of dairy protein that's usually skimmed off with the production of of whey protein. But dairy fat is a really interesting. Um, I've become really interested in dairy fat lately, and I've started putting heavy cream in my coffee because uh, dairy. So dairy you got to think like, what, what is the purpose of dairy? It's to grow an animal, right? I mean, in the, in the context of a cow, it's to grow a calf into a, into a, into a, into a cow. But what is the organ? What in particular, what is the organ that's under the most rapid growth and development? It's the brain, right? So if you actually look at what dairy fat has in it, it's got some really interesting brain protective molecules that um, I think, I don't know, may, may potentially play a role in In helping us procure better brain health. In particular, in dairy fat, dairy triglycerides are encapsulated by what's called milk fat globule membrane. And milk fat globule membrane, it's basically like a bubble that encapsulates these fats to make the fat soluble in water, right? Because dairy is this like natural, beautiful emulsion of of oil and water is essentially what it is. But the fats stay solute in the water due to this, this, this membrane called milk fat globule membrane. And milk fat globule membrane is literally composed of phosphatidylcholine, various phospholipids, various proteins, phospholipids, but one of them is phosphatidylcholine, which we know is a really important building block for brain cell membranes as part of the phospholipid bilayer, bilayer. So phosphatidylcholine plays an important role there. It's also a source of a compound called sphingomyelin, which is an important component of myelin which is the insulation of our, of our it's the myelin sheath, sheath, it insulates our neurons and it's degraded in conditions like multiple sclerosis. So there have actually been studies that have shown that feeding infants milk fat globule membrane leads to a, a significant improvement in cognitive function when compared to not feeding them milk fat globule membrane at all. It's a natural component of milk. So, I mean, we, there, it's in human milk, it's in, it's in bovine milk, obviously. So I think it's potentially really good from a brain health standpoint, if you can tolerate dairy. And I'll admit that, you know, 75% of the global adult population is lactose intolerant. But if you can tolerate dairy fat, heavy cream is an example of a dairy fat that has virtually no lactose or casein in it. So very well tolerated, even butter. But butter is different in that the churning of cream, which is how butter is made, disrupts milk fat globule membrane. So there's no milk fat globule membrane in butter. And that's actually why we see that butter can cause an increase in LDL. So butter actually is processed by our body differently than cream, even though they both start out as the same base ingredient. Butter has a characteristic that makes it potentially more atherogenic whereas this milk fat globule membrane protects the fatty acids and we we it seems that we digest them differently than we do butter and we're just we're still trying to figure out Sort of why, but that explains why, the, why we have this paradoxical finding with relation to dairy fat, that people who consume full fat dairy seem to be protected against cardiovascular disease, as opposed to low fat and fat-free dairy, right? Because for the past few decades, we've been told over and over again, saturated fat clogs our arteries, it's not good for our cardiovascular health, right? And it's true to some degree that saturated fats do cause your LDL levels to go up but that's not the case with dairy fat with Mm -hmm. the exception of butter so um so yeah so I've I've been sort of like that's why I started putting heavy cream in my coffee now um instead of butter which I I was doing for for a little bit um and yeah and I also because I go down these rabbit holes like you do Sean I uh I couldn't stop right like like once once I was like making all these like discoveries I wanted to see if there was any relationship between dairy consumption and um, reduced risk of cognitive decline because that's my, my passion. I, I have a familial risk factor for, for dementia because of, of my mother. And there was this paper that was, it, was a, you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't the highest quality paper, but it was published by this researcher whose work I've been following for a while, this guy, Oriel Willett, who's published a lot in the past about um, the relationship that nutrition has to brain health. And he found, it was a food f- frequency questionnaire Um, study that associated um various components of of subjects dietary patterns with their brain health over over a period of time and it found that among all dietary components dairy seemed to be the most dairy consumption seemed to be the most protective against cognitive decline Mm -hmm. i wouldn't um place money on that yet you know more more research needs to be done but um but yeah, very interesting. Yeah, interesting I mean, stuff. we've
0: got to maintain an open mind with these things because again, your thoughts about it have evolved. So so have mine, and basing it more experientially, of course, what feels good for you, and also paying attention to what the the real data says, and yeah. not just a certain vanilla flavor of data. This is how it is. Whenever whenever somebody says that this is the end all be all, that's when you need to have a big red flag popping up, you know. And even with if we're thinking about the the allergenic factor for the dairy. It might be for folks you mentioned, you know, having the ability to break down the sugar, right? Lactose intolerant, the lactase enzyme. It's the the, the carbohydrate fraction. What about the protein fraction? Maybe that's okay. What about the fat fraction? Maybe that's okay. Um, but also we've got to keep in mind too, humans are milk drinking creatures. Like that's our first food is milk. And so, of course, the the thought will come up, the argument will come up. Well, humans are the only animal that drink milk from other animals. Have you ever sat out some milk for a kitty? Because <laughs> guess what, that cat's gonna be all over it. You know, same thing with the dog. I just saw a video the other day. It was the dog was getting a bowl of milk, and then the cat just basically started giving the the dog the skibbity paps. You know, being able to, you know, cats have them hands, man. Um, you have a cat i have a cat. You're a cat guy.
1: I'm a cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I never, never would have thought, but yeah. No, I have. She's, <laughs> she's like a dog cat though. She's very, very personable. Cats can be weird, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's cute. Shout out to Delilah. Ah, uh, Delilah.
0: <laughs> Hello, Delilah. But dude, so, also
1: like, I mean, uh, what almond milk is natural? Mm, like, well, body. dairy yeah. milk, but almond milk comes yeah, from.
0: Yeah. i never, I've never seen you know an indigenous culture. You know, stroking the teeth of an almond. There you go. Out there, you know. But again, it's something we can do, and we can potentially find some value in. But we've got to understand these are all new things. We're all trying to figure it out. And also, also, if you think about the paradigm with these things, we're still trying to copy milk. That's the thing. It's just like if you don't, if you don't think that milk is is okay for humans, don't try and get your you know copycat version of the thing because you still want the real thing. But then we get in the conversation too, like, why are we so attracted to these things? Casomorphines, for example, these compounds that tend to fit into receptor sites that make us like this stuff, You know, especially when it's processed into things like cheeses. Mm. For most folks, I think it's the cheeses that can be a little bit more like, I'm not giving up my cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, cheese and ice cream and things like that. But again, we got to put this stuff in a context, what feels good for you and not to judge other people because if it works for them, it works for them you know and i love this about our our message has a mutual uh congruency there you know and it's just being more inclusive with these things so we've got fatty fish we've got vitamin e rich foods we've got dairy coming in with the surprising pick let's cover another what's another great food for our cognitive health that you have a recipe for in the book
1: ooh man another well i'm a big fan of um one of my favorite recipes is a, it's actually a berry recipe. Um, I'm a huge fan of blueberries, um, brain berries. Research shows we, there was a, a study, the nurses health study that provided all this data that's been mined in a million different ways. But we've seen that people who consume about a serving to two servings a week of berries, whether they're blueberries or strawberries have brains that are younger by about two and a half years. Um, and we know that berries are a low sugar fruit, um, but in particular, blueberries provide anthocyanins, which are the pigments that um, have actually been shown to accumulate in the memory center of the brain and act as protector molecules. So the memory center of the brain, the hippocampus, is the first structure to be affected by Alzheimer's disease. It's how we process and store our memories. And blueberries seem to provide this compound as to, uh, uh the the anthocyanin complex that is very protective seemingly of that of that structure there have also been another a number of clinical trials small admittedly but that have shown that blueberry extract can improve cognitive function um, in people uh, one of my friends Robert Krikorian, is a researcher who's who's published on some of that work and so I have a recipe in the book that combines blueberries with another genius food dark chocolate um, and I show people how to create, these fresh blueberry, these these dark chocolate covered fresh blueberries that combines both. These are bomb. Kids love them, by the way. So all you do is you melt down a, a bar of chocolate. You throw in a little bit of coconut oil to help emulsify the chocolate. Um, you get some fresh blueberries, rinse them off a little bit, dry them, throw them in the pot. Not at a You don't want to cook the blueberries, so you want to make sure that the temperature is just low enough to melt the dark chocolate. And you cover the blueberries entirely in the chocolate. You put them out on a baking sheet with parchment paper. And then you sprinkle a little bit of uh, flake salt on top. You throw them in the fridge. And after the chocolate has reconstituted, solidified, you get this like incredible chocolate candy shell encapsulating these, these amazing blueberries that like explode in your mouth when you eat them with this like little hit of like sea salt on top Mm -hmm. and chocolate is amazing because it's rich in compounds called flavanols a good source of magnesium which we know half the population doesn't consume adequate amounts of um it's been shown to support cognitive health regular chocolate consumers have better better memory memory function and um and so yeah so it brings those two together and then you throw a little bit of sea salt on top which is like the uh the icing on the cake so to speak but um, salt is another one of these like really important nutrients that has been demonized over the past couple of decades. We've been told to avoid it. Um, that that eating too much is bad for our blood pressure. Ironically, the number one source of dietary sodium in the American diet are bread and rolls. When was the last time you heard a dietitian say avoid bread and rolls? Usually, they'll say don't salt your food. But only eleven percent of the salt that your average American ingests comes from their salt, salt shaker or the salt that they add to their recipes. So. For me, it's really important to actually welcome salt back to the table. And uh whenever you have sweet in a recipe, you have to have a little bit of salt. It just um it just makes the sweetness pop. So that that's one of my favorite favorite recipes. It's one of the easiest recipes in the book. Um, kids love it. It's addictive.
0: Awesome, man. We talked about some of the nutritional upgrades that we get when we prepare food like this. And we talked about an upgrade with the oils, obviously. We talked about an upgrade of ingredients. But if you could, let's talk about the upgrade in a skill set that can actually help us to survive, you know, because again, cooking and spending time preparing food, putting our stuff together has been slowly disintegrating in our culture, especially here in the United States. So what made you want to write a cookbook right now? And has this rekindled a relationship for you? with spending more time preparing food? Such a good question. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a powerful leverage point.
1: And, and knowing how to cook, I think it's, I mean, we talked about the health benefits of knowing how to cook, but also knowing how to cook is a great way to economize. It's a great way to spend less money on healthy food. And and really, I mean, get in the best shape of your life in, in the process. Um, you know, with cooking, you can, when you know how to cook, You know, you have the know how to buy more economical um, cuts of meat, for example, and make them delicious. So, I love to give the uh, example of um, a cooked chicken drumstick. I don't know how many times I've gone even to a restaurant and I've bitten into like a chicken leg, right? Or chicken thigh or what have you. And it's just undercooked. Like, I mean, it might be cooked to the point of food safety, but you still have like collagenous tissue, connective tissue, tendons. You need to cook meat low and slow in order for collagen to break down into gelatin. That's how the best briskets in the world are made. That's how ribs are made. Some of my favorite foods, and um, and people need to know that parts of the animal that are closest to the joint contain collagen, right? And it's it's those parts of the animal they contain that contain four times the collagen of white meat breast you know chicken breast for example and so you need to cook these items low and slow and uh and that's where you can really start to i mean not only reap the benefits of ingesting more collagen which is you know good for your it provides the the backbone molecules that your own body will then reassemble into the into the collagen that forms your hair skin and nails teeth bones Keeps your arteries elastic, right? So, so, dietary collagen, I think, is is actually worthwhile to um, to seek out. But you have to know how to cook it well, and that allows you to then buy cheaper animal parts um, and make the most of them. Like chicken breasts are great, but they're it's just protein. There's like very little aside from the protein. There's very little nutrient density. Whereas chicken dark meat, you know, you've got that collagen. It's a good source of vitamin K2. Um, you can buy the whole chicken, which is the cheapest way to purchase chicken, or you could purchase the legs, you know, by themselves. And they're always going to be cheaper than, than buying the chicken breast. You can also, when it comes to red meat, you can buy cheaper cuts of the cow and cheaper cuts of the cow. Typically why they're cheaper, they're less desired because they tend to be tougher. But what do you think brisket is? It's just one of these cuts that really benefits from low and slow cooking. So I think that that's, that's one of the cooking tips that I offer in the book is like, people really need to know people really need to um slow down when it comes to not just cooking uh but also eating but cook, cooking in particular is yeah, i mean it uh, there is no food dish that I can think of that um doesn't benefit from a little bit more patience i mean even like a scramble, the humble hung, the humble scramble that we all make when we're running out the door in the morning if we're if we're lucky, right, a lot of us just start our days with commercial cereal, which is um just junk food, but I mean most people overcook their eggs. Cooking a scramble on very low heat, low and slow, constantly stirring it. I mean, you get eggs that are better than, than I'm sure most listeners have had, like even in the, in the restaurant setting. Um, so yeah, that's another example of a, of like just a basic tip that I offer in the book. Like if you're making eggs, cook them low and slow, take them off the pan before they're at your desired level of doneness, because they'll continue to cook similar to the way you want to take a steak off the grill. Um, before it's reached your desired level of doneness, because it continues to heat up. Same thing with eggs. Um, it's just like a, the, a world of flavor opens up to you once you just like have a little bit more patience with the cooking.
0: Mm, yeah, man, it just makes life better, man. Yeah, you know this is awesome. So so much here in the book, man. It's just so exciting because having resources like this, where we can, first of all, it's it's a beautiful thing just to be able to see your food, you know, see recipes to see what it's going to look like. And, you know, that aspect of it, but also you provided something here in the book that a lot of cookbooks don't, you actually provide some insight on how all this stuff works. Some nutrition insights that you don't find most other places as far as cookbooks are concerned. So let's talk about that. Like, what did you do in the creation of your cookbook? That's a little bit different.
1: Yeah. I, um, I kind of wanted to 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 create the genius trilogy. I don't know. I'm like a I'm a I'm a film nerd, so like I watch you know like the Dark Knight trilogy, Star Wars. Like I wanted to have like the third. I wanted to like end cap it with a third book. No, but I mean, I want I wanted to write a book that was not just um, a bunch of recipes, which would have been really easy to do. I wanted it to be a kitchen resource. So it's about 300 pages long, and the first half of the book is a is a nutrition and wellness guide, and I. As I mentioned, I break apart each food component from plants to animal products, eggs, fish, salt, herbs and spices, even water. I talk about, um, because my first book came out, I don't know, four years ago at this point, And my views on certain things have, have evolved as they should. Um, but ultimately I wanted to make it really practical for people like to, to distill all of my nutritional recommendations and everything I've learned over the past decade, um, into really practical advice. Where the rubber actually meets the road, which is the kitchen right where we're where we're actually preparing food for ourselves and our and our loved ones um I also really wanted to separate fact from fiction with regard to a lot of different things like you know when it comes to animal products, I'm a big advocate of omnivory um and i'm I'm unapologetic about that. I think that both whole plants are really important, and I also think that animal products are are really important with regard to animal products I mean one of the reasons why I think I'm so passionate about this is that my mom was a, ve- a a vegetarian, and my mom had very poor health. My mom, you know, as you know, at a young age, developed dementia, and later on she developed uh, cancer it was it was it was horrible and and I think that because of my mom's diet, which was also influenced by the media and everything that she was hearing about how to live a healthy life, avoid fat, dietary cholesterol, things like that, most of the products that we had growing up were ultra processed grain products but you know they had the red heart healthy logo on them we used a little bit of extra virgin olive oil but we shied away from animal fats and i will always remember the big tub of uh, corn oil that we had by the stove all of our all of the sauteed or fried dishes that my mom made for us as a kid um, were all made in that in that corn oil right so um so i think that by getting back had my mom had adopted a, a, a more balanced diet that was inclusive of a wider array of animal products, that she would have been better off. Now, my mom was a big animal rights advocate. I'm, you know, I, I definitely like respect my mom's choices and it, and what she developed wasn't her fault. You know, and and, and it, nor is it the fault of anybody who develops any of these kinds of conditions. But I mean, animal products like grass fed beef, it's one of the most nutrient-dense categories of foods that we have available to us. And I think even the ethical argument, it isn't really sound in the context of the standard American food environment. If you're shopping in a modern supermarket, um, and you're buying only plant foods, you're not somehow, um, indemnified from the damage and the exploitation and the death that modern food production, um, that the effect that that has on, on local and global e- ecosystems. There was a, 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 a research calculation that I cite in Genius Kitchen that even plant agriculture is, is potentially responsible for up to 7 billion animals live, animal lives lost every year, which is on par with what animal agriculture um, is responsible for. This is due to the widespread tilling and monocropping of land that decapitates innumerable Rabbits and field mice and squirrels and you know plants. The 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 spraying of herbicides and pesticides affects birds, and the runoff affects fish. So there's blood on on all of our hands, unfortunately. And the way to change the system, in my view, isn't to opt out entirely. It's to vote with your wallet for for the system that you want to see. And um, and so I sort of like go into that in the animal section, and then with plants, I talk about that. I, I go into every category of food and just sort of like break apart my rationale for why this should be included in your in your in your diet. And um and yeah, I'm very proud of, of I guess how it's how it's come out.
0: Yeah, man. I'm just, I'm just very happy for you, man. This the trilogy is complete <laughs> and completed in a big way. As of this recording, the books are going to be flying off the shelf, where people are going to get access a little bit early because they're here listening to the Model Health Show and you've got some bonuses for folks too for pre-ordering the book. Again, it's going to fly off the shelves when people get this access early so can you let everybody know where to go to get the bonuses
1: yeah so these are exclusive bonuses that once the book drops are going to be are not going to be available anymore but if you go to geniuskitchenbook.com and you order from there geniuskitchenbook.com and then you fill out the form on that website you're going to get a free pdf ebook that i wrote called 15 daily steps to lose weight and prevent disease so it's a 15 page document um packed with with really useful information um you also get uh an ebook that i wrote a couple of years ago actually on how to interpret scientific literature so
0: that could be helpful yeah right now
1: <laughs> yeah dude yeah so i i was really pa- health literacy I'm, I'm really passionate about, about yeah. this and not just being the, the 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 arbiter of it right but i want people to to be able to to meet me where i'm at right because i think we should all be have, have a seat at the at the table right You've, I mean, you do such a great job with like promoting scientific literacy. It's so important. So I wrote this little EDF, uh, EDF, this this PDF ebook. Um, basically, I think that the title of it is How to Become a Citizen Scientist. So, how to assess um, study quality, what to look for, um, et cetera. So, we got that. And then I also have a. Um, uh sort of community where I, I share bonus content. Um we do live Zoom calls every month. It's called the Genius Live VIP. You also get a free month uh to that. So you can get all that at geniuskitchenbook.com. But I'm I'm yeah, mostly proud of this book, which is uh it's really it's it pays homage to cooking and 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 what it's like to share a meal with somebody, something that my that I inherited from my mom. That was always like really important to her. Uh eating together. And, um, and I, don't, I ultimately don't think that nutrition should be as complicated as it is. You know, I think we overcomplicate things. So it's sort of a return to um, simpler foods that are still super delicious. I've got a lot of like um, uh, comfort foods in there that I've put my own twist on and made really healthy. Like one of my favorite dishes is actually, it's actually a plant-based dish, believe it or not. I've got some plant-based dishes in the book. It's a uh, vegan mac and cheese with carrot noodles. So we use carrots as the noodle. You can use a spiralizer, and we've got this amazing, amazingly indulgent um, cheese sauce that tastes like, like the box, you know, craft mac and cheese that I grew up loving as a kid. But we've got that with all super healthy ingredients. Um, the whole book is uh, gluten free, grain free, and ninety nine percent dairy free. I use a little bit of ghee in certain recipes, but um, but yeah, whatever dietary plan you're on, um, the recipes are sure to sure to be supportive. Um, to say the least.
0: Yeah, it's another great resource to add to our superhero utility belt. And again, to get those bonuses, GeniusKitchenBook.com. Go there ASAP. Take advantage. Those bonuses are awesome. And again, this book is going to be flying off the shelf. Get yours ordered and be ready to make some delicious meals, to get healthier. And it's a great time to do it, man. And thank you so much for coming by to hang out with us again. My brother. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Max Lugavir. everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. This is a mandate for us. The new mandate is to improve our nutrition, to improve our relationship with our food, because it's truly what is making our body. We get to choose what we're making our body out of. So having a little bit more connection is obviously going to be pointing us in a healthier direction. So, you know, and also this is one of the things that we strive to do is to be more inclusive and also to keep an open mind and understanding that things change as far as our understanding of nutrition in the human body. But I think that one of the most powerful and primary tenets for us to keep in our back pocket at all times is that if in doubt, look at what humans have been doing the longest. What has helped humans to reach that status where we're the apex you know, of creatures here on the planet. And has enabled us to have such a remarkable, complex brain that enables us to you know, do all the things that we've done in the world. And just even to pivot off of the conversation around milk, for example. Got milk? Man, milk has messed a lot of people up to be 1,000. But at the same time, many different civilizations have thrived having access to milk and dairy products. You know, my wife being from Kenya, she's from the Kikuyu tribe. Also, a lot of people know about the Maasai tribe, right? And the Maasai, again, they don't have these crazy rates of obesity and heart disease and diabetes and all these things. These are virtually irrelevant, non-existent in their culture. And their diet, a major part of their diet is milk. You know, So we can't completely vilify something because of a belief system that we have and also because it might not work for us we have to keep all this stuff in context because again we could say that humans are the only animal that drinks the milk of another animal i gave the example of kittens and you know and puppies and any other animal really they get some access to some milk they're getting their they're getting their sip on but also if we say that humans are the only animal that does a certain thing humans are the only animal that cooks right if we could play that game all day there's a lot of things that we do differently than other creatures and so And I'm saying this because these are the things that I thought, these are things that I would say, you know, because it just made sense, but it was surface level. It was a surface level understanding because everything has its place and there's this beautiful life cycle and association that human beings have with the planet, have with other creatures and nature, if we can see it, if we can rekindle that relationship because it's there, it's present, we can't run from it unless you leave the planet. But even when you leave the planet, guess what? You're taking you with you. You're taking earth with you because you're made from the earth, you know? But so it's being more aware of this process and this power that we have. And so there's so many wonderful foods and varieties and things that we have access to that we can explore. And that's the beauty of it all. And that's what I wanna implore you to do moving forward. Open up your mind and your palate and your experience. Let's get our hands on some food, all right? Let's get our hands more involved in the food preparation process. All right, so I appreciate you so much for tuning in to the show today. If you got a lot of value out of this, please share it out. You can send us directly from the podcast app that you're listening on, whether it's Spotify, whether it's SoundCloud, Apple Music, whatever the case might be. Shout out to everybody listening on iHeartRadio. I appreciate you. And of course, you can share this on social media. Take a screenshot of the episode. Tag me. I'm at Sean Model on Instagram and on Twitter at The Model Health Show on Facebook. I appreciate you so much for tuning in. We've got some incredible episodes, interviews, powerhouse masterclasses coming your way very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day. I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.